0: Before I get into the message, let me just say this is going to be a different kind of message. In fact, I'm a little bit insecure about this. At the beginning of a series, the first week of a series, I tend to be extra long. And the reason for that is I'm trying to introduce the series and then I'm preaching the first installment. And so that's one of the reasons why those. Well, all the tech team and everybody is like taking a deep breath whenever I have the first sermon of a series for that reason. And one of the things that happens in that situation is I kind of abbreviate the introduction and don't really get into everything i'd like to get into it to explain why we're doing a series and then i typically give um, an adequate presentation of that first theme so of course next week we start a brand new series it's the third in the anthology worlds of warfare it's worlds of warfare three the weapons but as i got ready for the series i felt like i needed to just take a whole week to give you the introduction and so with apologies because I'm not really sure this is a sermon, it's an introduction, but if nothing else, it'll explain why we're doing the series next week. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're a daughter of God, if you're a daughter warrior of God, if you're a son of God, these next four weeks after this are gonna be some of the most important weeks that we ever spend at New Spring. And so for that reason, I wanted you to know why we're taking these weeks. Start with a question, and you don't have to raise your hand or anything. This is not for anyone else in your even even the person you're married to. It's not even for your best friends to answer. This is for you to answer. It's between you and God, and I will never know. But let me ask you this question: Do you come up against stuff in your life that feels unbeatable? It's got your number, it's got the upper hand, you want it to go away, but you feel like it's got you beat before you start. I mean, I'm talking to those of you who have been Christ followers for six weeks, six months, six years, 60 years. And you you win battles and you win victories and you grow, but there's just like this, this area in your life that you can't seem to overcome. I'm not talking about an ordinary problem, an ordinary problem that you could do something about. We're responsible to do what we can about that. I mean, if it's a self-discipline issue, you just discipline yourself. If it's, if it's learning how to do what you need to do, then you just learn. How, but but here's, what, here's what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about something in your life that self-discipline doesn't seem to fix, that learning more information, hearing more sermons doesn't seem to fix. This is different. It could be a, a situation in your life. It could be an unhealthy relationship that you know is not good for you and not going anywhere and continues to spin out problems. It could be a habit that you struggle with and you've struggled with for years, something that you've asked God to forgive you for, but then you find yourself back saying, God, I told you I'd never do this again. And that was less than 24 hours ago. And it could just be something between our ears. Isn't that true that a lot of the junk that we deal with is just right in between our ears? Well, here's what I want to say to you. Don't feel alone. Don't feel like you're by yourself. One of the things I've, I've, I've watched through the years as pastor of a great church is I've watched Christ followers who deal with something in their lives that they can't seem to overcome. And it's like they're, they're, they're like either coming into church and feeling all alone or maybe even dropping out of church because they're, they're like, well, if I go there, everybody else is doing great. And I got this problem that I can't seem to overcome. Well, could I say to you, if you feel that way, whether you're in South Auditorium here in North Auditorium, watching online, watching on television, could I just say to you, put her there. <laughs> Shake hands with the rest of us. Because my guess is everybody here has something in his or her life that just has their number. It's got the upper hand. So don't feel alone. Well, if we stop that right there, we could all wallow in our victimhood. But this is not a series for victims that we're about to go into. This is a series for warrior daughters of God. This is a series for warrior sons of God. So don't feel alone. But also, don't feel helpless because we are not helpless. Don't feel hopeless. For the next five weeks, we are going to learn as children of the King, we're going to learn here at New Spring how to charge up those hills with victory banners. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I really am thankful that this has always been a safe church, and may it always be a safe church, And where we can talk with each other about our issues and, and, and do it without fear of being judged, and, and, and I share with you many of the things that I wrestle with. I, I pray that we can always be a safe place to talk about our failures, but it's a wrong turn to go from there to celebrating our victimhood, because this is a place for us to be honest about what we deal with, but then to get help and to experience life change in our lives. Next week, we start Worlds of Warfare 3. And as it suggests, it'll be the third in the series, the spiritual warfare anthology that I began a little over a year ago. If you're a new Springer, you know I've said this so many times through the years I'm not a teacher, I'm just another student, and I'm one lesson ahead of you. And I got to tell you that what led to this anthology on spiritual warfare was in my own life, I wanted to know how to win. I wanted to know how to overcome. I knew we were living in dark days. I understood the times that we were living in. I know that we're in the last days and we're in that era of time where the Antichrist and his kingdom is building and running toward the tribulation. And I know we're headed for the coming of the Lord. But Right now we're kind of on the same road. But in this age before Jesus comes, I don't wanna leave this world as a victim. I don't wanna leave this world as roadkill. I, I, I wanna have an impact. I want my life to be what it should be. I wanna have an impact on my, on my kids and my grandkids and the wonderful people that are part of this church. And so in my quest to know how to war spiritual warfare, I began this Worlds of Warfare Anthology. But that being said, after having brought you the first two series, I think I owe you something of an apology. I think I got the series out of order. Now, up to now, in these first two series, and by the way, if you weren't here for them, they're available on our website, or there, you can get the you know, the DVD series in the bookstore. But in, in those, in those first two messages, I've taught you the most important elements of spiritual warfare. And, and if you ever, if you forget everything else we talked about, just never forget these two verses because they are the spine of spiritual warfare. The first one is in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. The Bible says we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. If your enemy is a human being, you're not fighting spiritual warfare. The devil's got you right where he wants you. You say, Mark, the enemy is my wife. Well, you're God's, you may be God's child, but you're, you're fighting on the devil's terms. And right now, I hate to say this, but you're fighting on the devil's team. Because see, God's people never fight people. That's one of the problems that we have with religion, is religion has enemies that are flesh and blood, but our enemies are Here's the thing. Is it true that there are people who are against the work of God? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, we have to understand they are victims. They are even more victims than any of the rest of us. In fact, and I, I won't say this in the other services, but in the book of Jude, Jude says we snatch them. You know, we reach out to them because we're not against them. We we want them to know Jesus. We want them to know life change. Jude says we snatch them like brands from the burning. You say, Mark, my enemy is the progressives. Mark, my enemy is the conservatives. You're not doing spiritual warfare. I don't know. I mean, it's whatever it is, it's not spiritual warfare. You say, Mark, my enemy is the people at work. I mean, they have it in for me. I understand they may have it in for you, but they're not your enemy. Let me read this one more time. This is the very essence of spiritual warfare. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. But look at this next part. But against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in heavenly places. All four of those are references to demons. Satan has a hierarchy of demons. So consequently, that's just like different levels of demonic activity. Well, that is our enemy. The Bible says, it doesn't say God is fighting. He is. It doesn't say the angels are fighting. They are. But the Bible is saying we are up against that. And the thing of it is, if Satan can put you into warfare against his minions and you instead slap out or I slap out at other people, oh, my goodness, we don't do any damage to the enemy and we damage the people that we were put on the earth to be a blessing to so that's what we see. We do not. We, we, we're not fighting against people. Now here is the second verse. And again, these two verses are the spine of spiritual warfare. And if you forget everything else, just keep these two verses. Put them on your refrigerator. You know, tattoo them on you. Whatever you have to do to get these two verses. Here we go. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to, I love this verb, demolish strongholds. Now, it's the second verse that's convinced me in my prayer and study that I got things out of order and I stand before you today in order to make it right. My issue, you know, I I have the privilege of not only pastoring, I feel like America's greatest church, but I'm Working with churches all the time. I'm traveling. I'm speaking to other churches. I'm speaking to leaders. I'm training pastors all over the country. Here's my issue with American Christianity in specific. I don't see too many strongholds going down. If anything, I see strongholds building up. I've prayed about it. And I've realized that it comes down to this. If God is telling the truth... And he's never lied to me yet. If God is telling the truth, we have at our disposal spiritual weapons that have the power to demolish strongholds. And if strongholds are not going down, there are only two possibilities. Number one, I don't know what those weapons are. And number two, I don't choose, I know what they are, but I don't choose to use them. I don't understand how to use them. So as we begin this series next week, I want to rectify that because I want to bring you Worlds of Warfare 3, the weapons, the weapons. Now, I'm not trying to be hyper-spiritual with you, but I promise you, promise you, please just hear my heart. And, and, And let me just tell you a little backstory for how I know this. I can tell you there are certain messages that I bring and I'm going to catch, I'm going to catch a lot of grief for from the enemy. I can just tell you what the topics are. I mean, there are certain things I can talk about, and he won't give me a whole lot of trouble, but there are certain things I know before I get into it. I'm going, to have, I'm going to have a battle on my hands. Now, you can imagine, if we're going to talk for the next four weeks about the weapons that can kick the devil's backside, he's going to do everything he can to keep you from coming. He's going to try to distract you when you're here. So please, I plead with you, not for my sake, but for all our sakes, I plead with you, do whatever it takes to either be here or if you're traveling, to be online and to be here for all these services. Drum roll. Huge point. The enemy has groomed you to use weapons against his kingdom that he knows won't work. And I, I chose that word groomed really carefully because that's what abusers do. The enemy has groomed you and me, to use weapons that he knows will not work against his kingdom. I've never seen a time in my life where so many Christians are so angry as they are right now. I mean, I, I, get, on, I get on Christian sites and I look at comment threads and I see Christians talking to Christians and, and, and just the rage that's coming out. And I understand how broken our culture is. And I think I understand why people feel rage. But, I, but here's the deal. When we get angry, Satan has groomed us to use a weapon that will not work against his kingdom. There's a verse of scripture, and, I, and, and I, I've shared this with you before, but I grew up with anger issues. I mean, it was a generational thing. Going back to, to my grand, my, I think I've told you before, my great grandfather was known for his anger. He was called Wild Bill Hoover. That's a fact. So early on in my life, I wanted to know how can I break the cycle? How can I deal with anger? One of the verses that I keep with me all the time, and I, I, I just, it's like in my frontal lobe up here. It's a verse that says that the the wrath of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. And I remind myself, Mark, as soon as you get angry, you stop doing God's work. And that's a fact for all of us. But see, here's the thing. Satan wants us to use that. And here's the thing. He wants us to feel righteous indignation because if he does that, he has groomed us to use a weapon that will do damage to the people that were sent to help and will not even make a dent in his kingdom. He wants us to use weapons like divisions, things that separate us over issues that don't matter. He wants a division in your marriage. He wants a division between you and your kids. And what what happens when we succumb to using that weapon? Well, we feel like I got to defend my side. I got to defend my group. (laughs) Satan laughs all the way to the bank. Because he's groomed us to use a weapon against his kingdom that won't have any effect. I mean, sarcasm? Where do we learn all this sarcasm? I mean, it's like the more sarcastic the comment, the more, you know, the more likes or whatever, the more attention. Getting even. And the thing about it is we're not talking about stuff going on outside the church because they're not here today. We're talking about us here at New Spring and all of us watching. I mean, Satan has groomed us to use weapons against his kingdom that will not work. I mean, the problem with earthly weapons is they have no divine power. And Satan can match them. I mean, it's, here's the thing. Some of you have military backgrounds. You understand that it's really important that whatever army you serve... That you pick the battlefield and you pick the time. I mean, i was, Mary Alice and and I've been watching a lot, of, a lot of history because, you know, in June we have the anniversary of D-Day and, and the Allied land, landing on Normandy. And so we've been watching a lot of the stuff that led up to um, that, that huge invasion, which is probably the most important military uh, endeavor in, the, in the, at least in the 20th century. But you know, the thing that was so important for Eisenhower and all the other generals that were involved, they wanted to pick the time, they wanted to pick the battle, they wanted to pick the location. When you and I engage in using earthly weapons, Satan picks the battle, he picks the weapons, and he picks the time. Well, after this series that we're going to begin next week, it'll be like the Who saying, we won't be fooled again, and if you're under 50, you have no idea what I just said. Before we begin the series, I felt the Holy Spirit leading me to spend a whole week on strongholds. Because if what we're going to be talking about starting next week is these weapons have the power to demolish strongholds, maybe we would do well, and forgive me, it's just an introduction to a sermon, I recognize that. But maybe we would do well as warrior daughters of the king, warrior sons of the king. Maybe it would do us well to know, to recognize, to identify what we're up against. So let's start with, we'll have five keys for you. Here's the first key. What does a stronghold feel like? I mean, we we, we need to just stop for a moment and say, okay, how do I know if I'm up against a stronghold? What would it feel like? Well, first of all, it feels like Satan has the upper hand, and he does. It feels like he's got the high ground. You know, Satan is always on the attack, but there's a difference between his attack and when he gets the high ground. I mean, all you have to do is look at America today, and for that matter, let's just say, let's throw Wichita in. Because there's stuff going on in Wichita I could have never believed. Satan has total control of areas that a few years ago he was just on the periphery. I'm just talking about junk in our culture that's as wicked as it could possibly be. But now it's presented as good. It's presented as moral because he's got the high ground. Maybe we could define it this way. A stronghold is entrenched opposition where doing the right thing is always uphill. I mean, we're asking, what does a stronghold feel like? I mean, think about the word itself. It's two words jammed together, stronghold a stronghold feels like satan's got a hold and he won't let go that's what it feels like so let's take another question that's similar to that let's let's look at the second key what oh this is so big please 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 hear this what makes a stronghold a stronghold what constitutes a demonic stronghold drumroll a stronghold is a lie of satan that becomes, watch my fingers, truth. Quotation marks. Not truth, but it becomes regarded as truth. One more time, a stronghold is a lie of Satan that becomes truth. Let's take the first example of sin in the human race, Adam and Eve. Satan came along to Eve and said, you will not surely die. That was a lie. Jesus said, he's a liar. He's the father of lies, and all he deals in is lies. So Satan comes along to Eve and he said, God is wrong. You will not surely die. God's trying to keep something back from you. I don't know how many times he came to Eve and Adam. I'm guessing it was several times. Probably the first time he came, Eve said, that isn't true. I mean, I've already heard from God. God. God said, can't do this and surely die. And, and, but he kept coming back and kept coming back. And he's like, God is lying to you. And I'm telling you, you won't surely die. Now, here's the thing. There was a. Click moment, where something that had been a lie in Eve's mind became true. It became her truth. And a few moments later, she and Adam collapsed the human race. You show me a stronghold, whether it's a stronghold in my mind, if it's a stronghold in my family, if it's a stronghold a stronghold in our city if it's a stronghold in our world you show me a stronghold i'll show you a lie of satan that's as false as it can be and as crazy as it can be but somewhere along the line there was a click moment when it became true a little controversial let's take darwinian evolution Hey, I was taught Darwinian evolution from second grade on in public school in Texas. So I'm pretty, pretty familiar with it. And for anybody who's really pulled the covers back from Darwinian evolution, you know that it hasn't evolved. That's really true. I mean, there, there's not a whole lot of new stuff. It's, it's really hard when you're trying to come up with new proofs of something that is a lie. <laughs> It's always uphill. And one of the things I notice about my friends who believe in Darwinian evolution, I don't think they could complete a sentence without the verbs could have or might have. But here's the deal. I mean, the the, the question is never posed to Darwinian evolution is not what is possible, but what is probable. I mean, just, here's the thing. I can understand why a philosopher might be a Darwinian evolutionist, but not a scientist or a physician. Because you understand the complexities and and the interrelationship of systems. and In fact, I was just studying a a plant this week. I was just looking at some biology, and the, the scientist who was explaining it was talking about all these incredible factories that are within the cell. I mean, stuff that we can't even see without a microscope, but there's all these intricate systems that we can even barely understand. We can't duplicate it. We can't replicate it. We can massage some of God's creation, make ourselves feel like we're creating something. But at the end of the day, we barely understand. And yet, the predominant story in America is that all this complicated, sophisticated, interrelated group of systems, biological and and animal systems, that they all just (laughs) happen by accident. It is as insane as it ever was. And when it was first proposed, it was treated as insane. But along through the years, we've just ignored probabilities and gotten into this deep weeds where we've we've crafted this possible situation, perhaps, how that everything came about without God. Click. And now it's a stronghold. God forbid, God forbid that a teacher in public school might stand up and say, there is another possibility. We may have gotten here by intelligent design. Perhaps that teacher might talk about irreducible complexity, saying, you know, there are systems that cannot go from lesser complexity to greater complexity. All the system had to be available for the system to function. That's a great proof. I'd love to talk about that someday. Well let's just set that aside for a moment because you and I understand it's become a stronghold. It's a alive Satan, but it's become, and for perhaps even some of us here, once in a while, become true. Today, the hot button issue in our world is we now have strange ideas about gender. A few years ago rational people would have thought stuff that's being sold today on the market was just certifiably crazy click it's now a stronghold even in our locale it's clear it's there's no doubt for anyone who has biblical understanding. It's clear to me we are being groomed. We are being groomed for the tribulation where there is nothing but strongholds, where Satan is freed to run crazy, that weird seven-year empire. And, and the thing about it is, I think, and from what I can understand in the Scripture, and I believe with all my heart, those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ, we won't be around for that but I really do believe that there are many who claim to follow Jesus Christ who will fold like a cheap suit because the reality is you're falling for all the dry runs. All of Satan's test runs that he's running right now, so many Christians are folding like a cheap suit. I'm I'm not sure yet fully that they understand what it means to know Jesus Christ. Key number three, how does the enemy establish strongholds? How does he pull it off? It's so big. I, I, I pray for every husband, every wife, every parent, especially to hear what I've got to say. Satan will always take undefended territory. Because someone said, Mark, I'm kind of creeped out by this spiritual warfare thing. I'm, I'm a lover. I'm not a fighter. I don't want to do spiritual warfare. Well, here's the deal. I'm just being honest with you. This is true for me. It's true for you. If you you don't defend territory in your life, Satan will take it. He will always take undefended territory. That's why these next four weeks are so important to you. It's important to the people you love. Every time we allow the enemy to encroach in God's territory and set up a stronghold, we're just one step closer to being pushed out of the place that God has for us. Now, Jesus is going to give us a weird statement. At least it's weird in the way the world thinks. And I have to promise you, it's a little challenge for me to unpack what Jesus said. But, hey, he's Jesus. So here's what he said. When an evil spirit is expelled from someone, it drifts along through the desert looking for an oasis, some unsuspecting soul, it can be devil. When it doesn't find anyone, it says, I'll go back to my old haunt. I'll go back to the person I came out of. On return, it finds the person spotlessly clean but vacant. It then runs out and rounds up seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all move in. Now, what I draw from that is if we don't do spiritual warfare... Satan will take ground. If we don't defend it, he will take, and here's the thing, he has no right to the territory, he has no right to your marriage, he has no right to your kids, he has no right to your job. He is a squatter. And the longer he has it, the more he'll build. And that's how stronghold happens. I referenced this a moment ago, but look at America. America. We weren't a perfect nation. We had a lot of flaws. But at one point, America was a nation that feared God. But look at us now. I mean, last week at our 4th of July celebration, it was such a moving moment when we had the veterans, the men and women who had served in armed forces, stand up. And rightfully so, we honored them. And and, and brave men and women have defended our nation, but I wonder if we Christ followers have defended America with spiritual weapons. I mean, I think our our army and our navy and our Coast Guard and our Marines and, and and all the branches of service and those who are first responders, I mean, they have defended us with their lives, but have Christ followers have we gotten so comfortable in this world that we don't want to do spiritual warfare and in the process of time as Satan moved in when we didn't defend America you know i mean we may have engaged in politics there's a place for that but my my question is have we did we fight for america in the heavenlies where the bible says the real battle is we've watched in our lifetimes as one by one satan has claimed territory we watched god removed from public schools here's the thing, I'm talking to some of you, and I understand where you're coming from. I just, I've lived a long time. But if you're 30 years old, it's like, well, that's unconstitutional. Well, it's interesting. The framers of the Constitution didn't think so. Hey, I, I was in public school all 12 years in Texas. I remember being in the eighth grade in 1969. I went to a public high school there with the inner city high school with 4,000 students and the middle school with 2,000 students. And I remember in the eighth grade in 1969, we did an Easter program. We did one every year. The drama coach who was putting it all on said to me, Mark, I want you to read the story of the resurrection of Jesus out of the Bible. I'll never forget, as Mr. Ware said, when you get to that line, he is risen. He said, I want you to bite off every word because that's the most important message. That was in a public school in Texas in 1969, Which, by the way, I I don't know why I'm saying this. Mary Alice would have been in the sixth grade assembly that year. She's heard me speak for a long time. (laughs) But little by little, we've watched as that's become a stronghold. And God was removed from public life. and, And then we watched as the attack was on marriage. And a lot of you cannot remember a world where if you wanted to get a divorce, you had to go to court and show cause. And many of you have gone through a divorce, and you were, you were victimized. I mean, you didn't want the divorce. I mean, you wanted a marriage. You wanted a healthy marriage. But when you got in divorce court, what you found out was the person who had caused all your trouble was on equal standing with you. Did you know it wasn't always that way? We didn't even have no-fault divorce until the late 60s, but it was like, "Well, we got to make this easier. And then it was abortion on demand, and now every kind of perversion is celebrated, and anyone who speaks against it is the enemy. Folks, that didn't happen by accident. We're not talking about just a cultural evolution here. We're talking about a stronghold. And it breaks my heart because I hear Christians accepting as perfectly normal things that in the past would have been so shameful that people wouldn't have even talked about it. When you look at all those things that we lost, the truth is they were unguarded. Little by little, Satan took ground until now we are where we are and we're in a stronghold. There's a verse in the Bible in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 27 that simply says, do not give the devil a foothold which basically means don't even let him in. And I want to tell you something, and please hear my heart on this. If you give Satan a foothold, in other words, if you just give him a place to set up a little shop, just a little unguarded area in your life, if you give him a foothold, it'll become a stronghold, and in time it'll become a stranglehold. Here's number four. Strongholds will not go away just because you're a Christian. I think this is one of the things that I really had to learn. You know, a lot of us is like, well, I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I prayed. I love worship. I love going to church. I love listening to messages and, you know, I love reading the Bible and all that kind of thing. I'm a Christian. Strongholds should just go away. Strongholds will not go away just because God is bigger than the devil. You are going to have to fight. This is a You guys know already New Springs not a church for wimpy believers, you know. we're, We're pretty serious players here. But you and I are going to have to fight. And here's why this series is so important. I see strongholds everywhere. Christians ask me about them all the time. But praise God, the word of God says, and let's look at it one more time, the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but they are powerful. This is the most important phrase in the whole verse, through God. I'm telling you right now. When we get into the weapons next week, you're going to think, well, I didn't know that was a weapon. Because, see, that's the thing. We've been groomed to use weapons that won't work. And so next week when we start talking about weapons, you're like, well, Mark, that sounds kind of passive to me. Spoiler alert. Week three, we're going to talk about attitude. You say, Mark, how could attitude be a weapon? Do you know what the Word of God says? We'll see this in week three. The Word of God says, arm yourself with this attitude. Well, I'm thinking, how can my attitude be a a weapon? But then I started thinking about in my life, so many victories that Satan got is because he lured me into a bad attitude. So that's, you know, don't tell the next service that I said that. (laughs) We'll let it come as a surprise. No, I may say it. See, the weapons that we have are powerful through God. It's not that we do something that dazzles the devil. It's just that through God, these weapons are powerful. Well, I got to come to the end of the talk today, which I apologize again. It's not a real talk, is it? It's just introduction. But in case this talk has felt a little theological, let's make it practical. You're up against a real stronghold. Not an ordinary problem. Is there any chance that you've begin to accept that that's just the way things are? (laughs) What did we learn in 2020? The new normal? There's a stronghold in your life and it's just like, I'm never going to get victory over this. It's going to be part of my marriage. It's going to be part of my thinking. It's going to be part of my situation. It's just how things are. It's just that this kid in my life's Never going to get it. Okay. Before we go into the fifth key, let's set this up. Satan wants you to believe when you come up against a wall that it's here. It's always going to be this way. And you have to accept it. Here's key number five. Your stronghold wasn't always there, and it doesn't have to stay. If Jericho teaches us anything, back in the book of Joshua, if Jericho teaches us anything, walls come down by the power of God. Jericho was a city that was guarded. There was no, no, no military group had ever gotten victory over Jericho. What did the Israelites do? They marched around it seven times and then seven times on the seventh day and then blew trumpets. That's not the way to take a wall down. It's just the way God said take the wall down and the wall fell. And I think it's important for us to think about those walls in our lives. They weren't always there, and they don't have to stay. I plead with you. Come back next week. Because for four weeks, we're going to build our arsenal and we're going to know how to fight with weapons that don't attack people, but weapons that do serious damage to the dark kingdom, to Satan's kingdom. And when you as a warrior daughter of God stand up to do battle, he will know he has been in a fight. When as a son of God, you're like, I'm no wimp here. I'm not going to cave. I'm not going to fold like a cheap suit in these dark days. I'm a soldier of the king and I'm going to fight. I'm not going to hurt people because people are who I'm here to help. But I'm a a son of God and I'm going to put on my spiritual weapons and devil, we're going to do battle together. i got to close with this question. Have you joined God's army yet? No. Good news is it's free. I mean, the Lord is, he's, you know, it's like, you remember, you remember the recruiting poster. Uncle Sam wants you? Well, God wants you. Right. He loves you. You say, Mark, I'm not very strong. Well, you don't have to be strong in your strength, just strong in God's strength. Right. All you have to do to become God's daughter or God's son is believe that Jesus died for your sins, believe he arose from the grave, and then ask. Just ask. Because if you ask Jesus to be your Savior, God will wipe all your sins away, and he'll enroll you into his family, and all of a sudden you'll have access to all these weapons you don't have access to today. Who's here and you've had enough of the world's way of doing things? You've had enough of the dog eat dog, people fighting people. You've had enough of the sarcasm and the anger of the way this world does things, and you're saying, "I want some. <laughs> I want to be on God's side." Well, it's great. You can do it right now. Whether you're in campus here, watching online, or on television, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna lead you in a prayer, and these aren't magic words, but if you mean them from your heart, God will hear your prayer. Okay, let's let's pray. Please bow your head with me, all of us. Dear God, I am a sinner and I'm broken and I cannot make myself right but I believe your word I believe that you love me I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins I believe his blood paid for everything I ever have or ever will do wrong I believe Jesus rose from the grave and since he's alive I want Jesus to be my king Bring me into your family. Thank you for hearing my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. One more minute, please. If you just pray with me, I want to give you some, uh, I want to like give you some things to outfit your battle plan with, okay? I have a, a New Spring Bible here for you, just like the one I preached from. There's a book I wrote. You said Mark, I still have a lot of questions. This book will answer a lot of questions, just some other cool stuff. Here's how to get it. Right now, if you're on campus, just take out your phone and text "prayed" P-R-A-Y-E-D, to 97000. You can go from there to any info center, and they'll have this for you. They won't hassle you or bother you. They just want to give it to you, okay? So take it home with you today if you just pray with me, please. Take time. It'll be a blessing, and we just want to take your first steps. promise you no hidden agenda. Nobody will hassle you. We just want to give this to you. If you're watching online or watching on television, all you have to do is text PRAY to 97000, follow the steps, and we'll get it out to you. Thank you for being here. We'll see you next weekend. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services.